Well, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Am I on? I'm not? Hold on. How about now? No? No? Am I muted? Nope. I'm getting the okay up there. So, yeah? All right. So, uh, before I begin today, I'm not the only person that graduated yesterday. Katie graduated. And uh, I think she should be recognized because she serves this church body so uh, faithfully and uh, because she definitely wore the cap and gown better than I did. So, <laughs> so congratulations and keep going. Um, let me pray for us as we get started today. Father, we just want to hear from you. Lord, we recognize your presence. We can feel it in this place. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this time of fellowship. Would you remind us of your love for us, what Pastor Chris was talking about, what's inside of us, the Holy Spirit, the power of that, Lord, and your constant pursuit of us. Would you give words today that are true from you, powerful from you, not from me? Lord, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to discern. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, while I was going through my daily Bible reading, I came upon the story of Samuel when he first heard the voice of God. It's a familiar tale. Samuel is young, and he was promised by his mother Hannah to serve God all of his life. If you remember, uh, Hannah had been barren, and she had went up to the house of the Lord and prayed. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. So, true to her promise and her vow, when Samuel was born and when he was very young, she took him to serve Eli in the house of the Lord. And then we read this account in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Verses 1 through 10. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Eli is much more patient than I would have been. 
Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. God spoke. Samuel answers. Speak, for your servant hears. It's conversation. It's what every conversation is. Someone speaks and someone listens. And we respond. In the 70s, in the early 70s, CB radios started to become a thing. And I'm going to alienate all the kids in the room right now with this reference. But hang with me. My dad was like an early adopter of CB radios. He was fascinated. I sort of got that gene from him. Anytime new tech comes out, I'm always really interested in it. And so he installed this base CB radio unit in our house in Buffalo, New York. And he put a radio in his truck and he put one in our mom's uh, Volkswagen bus. This is before the days of minivans. And um, dad would leave for work every day. And the school that I attended, I was probably six or seven at the time that this was going on, was only about a block away. So we used to walk to school. And so in the morning, I would get up, get ready for school, and I'd have time for one or two cartoons before I had to leave the house to go to school. And every day after Dad would leave, there would be a time where I would hear from the base unit, KEU 1788, the base, my dad's voice. And if I was fortunate, I would run in there and get the mic first before Mom did and answer him. I heard my father's voice. And when I, this sermon was coming together last week and that came to me and I laughed because I remember the call sign from the early 1970s and it's still there. I still remember hearing my dad's voice. I knew my father's voice and when he called, what did I do? What did he expect? I answered, as a Christian who believes that God still speaks to us, I have to confess that there are times that I get very frustrated and I struggle with hearing God clearly. Why doesn't God have a CB radio? Why can't God just say, David, not there, there. Don't do this, do that. Go speak to that person. Go pray about this. Why not? Why doesn't it work that way? And sometimes I let myself start to doubt. And sometimes, if you're like me, maybe you do this too, you hear other people talking about hearing from God and you don't hear from them the same way and you think, well, maybe I'm just not Christian enough. Is it just me? 
Hebrews 4.12 tells us this, though. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That first part, living and active. Our God is relentless in his pursuit of us. I love that reminder. I absolutely love that. How many times did God call Samuel? Four times. But you know what I think? I don't think God has a limit. I think I'm living proof of that. But I think that God calls until we answer him. Speak, because your servant hears. If we believe that God pursues us, that he is active, then the million-dollar question is this, how can we continue to stumble and doubt? Why is it so common for us that whenever something hairy is going on in our lives or something that we're worried about is happening, why do we stumble? Why do we doubt that God is right here? We do hear from God. But if you're like me, and I hope you are, that you'll understand this, what happens to me is that more often than not, I see where God was talking to me and where God was interacting in the proverbial rearview mirror. When I look back over the events from last week, last month, last year, decades, that's when I clearly go, oh, that was God. It's harder for me in the moment. I don't know why that is. But for me, it just seems to be easier to look back. I think that's why so many people embrace journaling. They may journal. I don't journal yet. I got a journal yesterday as a graduation present, and I was really excited about it. And Angie said, oh, please, I've given you like five journals, and you don't use them. But I should, because here's something that I've actually seen. She journals about everything. I even bought her a journaling Bible. And she will go back and look at these things and note where prayers have been answered and note where God has shown up. And then she's obnoxious about it. She'll underline it and show it to me, see? And I should do that. I, I, I think I should. I think it would, it would sort of help to reinforce where God is and help me understand a little bit better when God is calling. And I'm not quite sure, is that God? Is that not God? Last week, I left my house to come here. I got on the Pellissippi, which, as you know, is, is always, you know, a thing, right? And um, I was heading up here, and, and uh, I have to confess that for, for whatever reason, last week I was feeling a bit disconnected. I was feeling a little distant. Uh, I was longing for God to talk to me. And even last week's sermon, I wasn't quite sure why. God had put that on my heart. And he wasn't being real forthcoming with an answer for that. And so I asked him to uh, to speak to me, to talk to me about it. I turned some music on, and the first song that came up was a song called Jesus, I Believe. And I want to read some lyrics to you that I wrote down. I promise I won't sing them, but um, 
goes like this. I want to walk with you, Jesus. Feel your presence and know you're near. I want to see you, Jesus. Move in power and cast out fear. I need to hear you now. I need to know it's you. I'm standing on your promises. I know your word is true. You're bigger than what I see. It's you in exchange for me. Because even the impossible can be reality. Jesus, I believe. And that one line, even the impossible can be reality, seems so hard to accept to a rational person sometimes. In the face of whatever life is throwing at us. But if you follow Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I was smiling earlier when when Pastor Chris was talking about what we have in us. And it just lines up with this very thing. There's this reminder. I think that as Christians, we accept it. We just say, yeah, I've got the Holy Spirit. I became a Christian, I got the Holy Spirit. It's like saying I've got change in my pocket or something. We don't realize the power behind that. And what does Paul say in Romans 8.11? He says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. A spirit powerful enough to raise the dead. A great reminder of the true power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you that as I was listening to that song on the Pellissippi, I felt the weight of God's glory. I have an indicator. I know when it happens. It doesn't happen as often maybe as I would like at times, but I do know it because I cry uncontrollably. It just happens. And I'm not a crier. But if I'm praying and I pray often, I know God hears every prayer. But when God is really, really close, the waterworks just start coming. And I know it. And I'm in my car going up the Pellissippi listening and I'll admit, singing along with the song. And the tears are just coming out of my eyes. And I'm praying for my friend. And I'm praying for this church. And I'm praying that God will move in this community. And the the tears are just coming. And I know people are driving by my car thinking, what is wrong with that man? But it was the power and the presence of, of Jesus. And what was so frustrating to me is that when something happens like that, I still doubt. Why? How can I walk away from that and still doubt the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? That God is real and He's here. How? Well, it turns out I'm in good company. The prophet Elijah who many would call one of the big biblical heavy hitters, right, in the Old Testament. The one who appeared with Moses during the transfiguration. He knew the presence and the power firsthand. 1 Kings 17 tells of Elijah proclaiming a drought to King Ahab. God speaks 
And what's he do afterward? He sends Elijah out to the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. This is in 1 Kings 17. And there, God provides water for Elijah with, through the brook, and he feeds him with ravens. He has ravens bring him bread and meat twice a day. When the brook dries up, God sends Elijah to a widow to stay with her and her son. And while he's there, her jar of flour and her jug of oil never go empty. At one point, Elijah raises the widow's son from the dead. I mean, what what else is there to say, hey, power of God, right here, okay? But then in 1 Kings 18, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. 450 of them to one of him. And I love the account of this happening. Because there are two bulls brought out for sacrifice. And see, Elijah's wise. I have a twin brother. I know how to, I know how to you know, work things. Like, no, you choose because I don't want you to say it was an unfair choice. And that's what he does here. He says, there are two bulls. You pick the one you want. So they pick the one they want to sacrifice. And Elijah takes the other one. And they go first. 450 prophets for several hours and they can't get a spark to appear. And keep in mind, this is after a three-year drought. Imagine that. I mean, listen, I in the wintertime when the air is dry, I can pull a sweater off and power the grid in Oak Ridge probably for like a half a minute. Have you ever been to the desert? We went out, Angie and I went out to the desert um, Right after we were married, I wanted to see Hoover Dam, and so we took a trip out to Nevada, and um, the heat did not bother us at all, because we're from Florida, and so we're okay with heat. But it was so dry that every single thing I touched, there was a spark, everything. I mean, things that shouldn't even spark, like wood or plastic or, you know, whatever it was, uh, it seemed like every single thing I touched. So you get that thing going I do this in the winter time too and, and it drives everybody crazy. It drives me nuts, but I'll touch everything like this. You know? Because you know you're gonna get shocked. You know you are. I had a car key that actually arced. I mean you saw the spark when I went to put it in the in the car. This was before the days of keyless entry and there was a zap for a second. So when I read that account of Elijah and the the, the prophets of Baal and I'm thinking, this is a three year drought. A spark should be pretty easy. You should be able to just, you know, a little bit of friction, you know, and you've got it. Nothing. Not a spark. So then to add insult to injury, what's Elijah do? He, he sacrifices the bull. He puts the wood around the altar that he has rebuilt, the altar to the God of Israel, with 12 stones, one for each tribe. He takes jars of water and pours the water on the wood to make sure it's wet so that it won't burn. And then he calls to God. And not only does the sacrifice get consumed by fire, so does the wood. All the water dries up. They said even the dust is consumed by the fire. Yeah. Elijah knows God's presence and power. Someone who's been fed by ravens, seen the dead raised, saw fire literally from God, surely he would never doubt 
the power and presence of God, right? Next chapter. Ahab told Jezebel, that was his wife, the queen, all that Elijah had done. Elijah put the 450 prophets to, uh, to death after that. How he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And what does it say next? He was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Again, Elijah is provided for by God. But what this is what stands out to me that's so interesting. The threat from the queen is he got afraid and it says he ran for his life. After everything that he'd witnessed, shouldn't his attitude have been, bring it. I've seen the power of God. I've seen what God can do. I'm not afraid of you or anybody else. I wanted Elijah's response to be more like David's was when he meets Goliath. Remember on the field of battle, Goliath is insulted because he's calling for a warrior to fight him. And instead, he gets David. Clearly not a worthy opponent in his eyes. A youth. No sword. No shield. No armor. I think Goliath's feelings were a little bit hurt. Like, is this what they think of me? He'd been out there for 40 days insulting the armies of Saul and calling for a champion. And in 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 43... We read this interchange between Goliath and David. And this is what I wanted as a response from Elijah to Jezebel. It says this, And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine, Goliath, said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. David didn't even have a sword. 
And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. What a different story if Elijah had responded that way to Jezebel. Can you imagine the kind of boldness that it took and what those people must have thought in those armies standing around there looking at this kid? Wow, he's brave, right? Elijah knew God. He knew that God spoke to him. He saw the presence of of God. And I contend that we do too. Whether it's in the rearview mirror or not, but, but but when we see it in the present, I feel that the distance between us fully understanding that God is speaking to us or being willing to take the risk is fear. We're afraid what if it's not? What if God's calling me to do something that I'm not prepared to do? What if God's going to ask me to do something I'm not equipped to do? Our God doesn't work like that. What are we afraid of? So how do we proceed? How do we accept what God says? How do we embrace the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us, the closeness of our Savior, How do we do that? Well, I think it goes back to Samuel. It goes back to that moment when Samuel is instructed by Eli. When God calls, we answer. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Be bold. Expect God to speak to you. And remember that the power of the Holy Spirit is in us. There's no reason to fear I want you to remember this promise from Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That was the last thing I wrote on this sermon, and while I was thinking about it this morning, I thought, you know, the, the truth of the matter is this that when the enemy is working on us, the oldest and most effective trick that he uses is making us believe that we're alone. He separates us from the herd because that makes us weak. And God's promise over and over again, I will not leave you. I'm here. I'm right here. When I speak, answer. So when God speaks this week to you, just take a minute, even if you have a doubt, and just say, speak. Your servant hears. Let me pray. Father, you are here. We feel it. We know it. But there's a gap between knowing and and feeling. Lord, help us to feel you. Lord, stretch us out of our comfort zones 
Help us to hear your voice in your word through a friend, through a prayer, even through the lyrics of a song. Lord, whatever that may be, however you choose to speak to us, speak because we want to hear from you.